which is huge. I mean, it's like a man. It, it's big. Kane, son. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study. Not to bring back. But to wipe them out. That's the plan. You have my word on it. All right, I'm in. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-host, Patrick Green, Christian Motzka, Andy Geek Girl, Majid Shana, Harry Chicos. We're also joined by Xander in the chat and a special guest, Alex White, who's going to share their opinions with us today. A- am I supposed to talk now? <laughs> Please do. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Alex. Hi, it's good to be back on the show. This is uh, my third time. Yeah, third I think fourth. this is the third, third or fourth third time. Third or fourth. Yeah, because Cold Forge and Into Charybdis both had at least one, if not two. And then you were on another. I felt like you were on another episode during lockdown. I don't know. We had an impromptu. I don't. I don't remember. I think the moral of the story is you're on our minds all the time, so it (laughs) feels like you're always on episodes with us. We also like of all the people whose work I plug, I probably plug the work of Alex White more than anybody else because we just love what you do, and your your presence is always here, even if you're not physically on the show with us. (laughs) Hey, before we get further into the episode tonight, I'm just going to take a brief moment because we had a severe influx of Patreon activity happen. And it's quieted down again. So again, I'm going to do my desperate, you know, <laughs> ask if you're interested in helping us out, go to patreon.com slash perfect organism. We love you guys and love your support. A lot of cool conversations happening. Lots of cool content uh, coming out, including an episode that just dropped yesterday that I was not even a part of because I was at a wedding, but uh, I have not heard it yet and I can't wait to. And you're going to have to go to patreon.com slash perfect organism to find out what that episode was because it's a good one. Uh, but without further ado, I want to go uh, do a quick shout out to our June Patrons, going back to June 1st, we have uh, Damian Thorne, Dino, Sean Rosado, Hunter, Eel, Thomas C. Wolf, and Chris Blackwood. Thank you to all of you for joining, and uh, we love having you here. So, Jamie, why don't you get us rolling tonight? Indeed. So, before we get into the topic, which is The Egg and the Sulaco Part 2, this is going to be more of a, a, a listener feedback episode and also special guest feedback episode so i'm interested in what (laughs) alex has to say about your theories on how that egg got there if that egg was already there all those kinds of things so i'm excited about that but we dropped some news today about alien romulus and that news is number one which we haven't made public yet the wrap date for alien romulus is june 29th which is in eight days and the official title of the film is actually Alien Romulus. The title is up for debate for a while. A lot of, or some people in the industry working around the film had said, oh, we're not sure if this is the final title. We had confirmation yesterday that it's actually the final title. So I'm excited about that. And we have a finalized release date, which is August 16th, 2024. That's 
a year, about a year away, a little bit more than a year, which is a little bit depressing, but I'm excited nonetheless. <laughs> oh, that's so exciting. I can't wait to see it. I have no idea what this person's going to do with the movie. Have you seen yeah, any of their either. previous? Alex, have I you have... seen any of their previous films? I don't think so. Uh, I didn't recognize the name. They uh, Fede did a version of Evil Dead um, in the last I 10 years. I did see that. Yeah. I did see that. <laughs> Okay, it's fun that movie. <laughs> I I I think I saw that in the best possible circumstance, Ooh. which was there was a a lady in my theater who would just yell whatever she was thinking at the screen, <laughs> and like she'd be like, "I know you didn't do that," you know, and I'd be like, "Yeah, what the, f- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ellie," and, and like that really. That really just that I don't know that added so much to the movie. I really I don't know. It's it's weird to say that I enjoyed it, but I definitely did. Theater etiquette is so out the window at this point, but like, even though that was 10 years ago, but like sometimes the right person, it can be great. You know, I, I think, I think it's for horror movies, right? Like if you were watching the notebook mm-hmm. and you were like, do not leave her. I'd be like, come on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but like for horror, like I saw the ring with a really rowdy crowd and it was still scary. I still, I had a great time, you know, just laughing and, enjoying myself but also having nightmares for weeks afterwards mm. so i've never seen a tv betray someone like that tv's not my friend <laughs> did you see don't breathe because that's the other big I one did. i did i did okay so i've, I've seen i've seen both of the majors uh you are primed yeah don't breathe wow that one that one takes a left turn in the third act doesn't it yeah it really does <laughs> the uh that the the uh the turn that it takes is the reason that i haven't shown it to my wife Right. Like, whoa, hold on. (laughs) Right. Exactly. You're like, wow, this was a really tense thriller. Jesus Christ, dude. Yep. Yep. When a a turkey based in the basement. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah, Exactly. I was like, even I was like, oh, I, I, wow, I don't know about this. And I wrote a scene where I got somebody sucked off a face hugger, you know, like Harry's dream. But so (laughs) combining those two movies, though, same director, completely different approaches. And give them alien, you know, I mean, that's, that's why I think there's some excitement. There is a lot that is exciting. I, I do, I do. Um, I'm interested in seeing how, cause I mean, I would, I would say that this person is a borderline gonzo horror director, you know? And so, you know, it, it, this is, a, this is definitely adjusting my expectations. How the violence is portrayed in an alien movie is stylistically probably one of the biggest directorial cues. So let's use that as a segue then. So as we get into this part two of our egg in the Sulaco discussion, Alex, please tell us what you think about how that egg got on the Sulaco for the opening of Alien 3. Okay. I have an idea here. First of all, Ripley goes in there. You know, she fries the whole nest. She's, you know, um, really mean, really rude, right? Killing all your kids like that. And so the queen angrily follows her. Right. It detached from that thing, the the egg gestation thing. I think it's just dropping eggs at that. It's like trailing toilet paper. 
No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I do think I do think that it got on the ship and I was like, I'll fucking show you. <laughs> I'm gonna throw in some redundancies because that's something that aliens are really good at is, is sort of redundancy, right? You know, like if there's just one of them, they're gonna grab a bunch of people and turn them into eggs. If you know, if there's more than one of them, it's like it's queen time. You know, um, they got a really good system going. Uh, so I, I, I think, I think that the, that the, it was just, it was just sort of a revenge lay. Um, I am curious though, like what part does the big weird sack thing play in the gestational mechanism? Because, you know, surely that egg came out underdeveloped or, or something like that. I mean, do the eggs or aren't, do the eggs come, they obviously don't come out full size or do they? I mean, I didn't get to see the queen's cloaca and whether or not it flexed but you know i think it's a cloaca i'm gonna call it one i don't know it's it's that's not a bird <laughs> you know Let's get james cameron on the phone yeah what's the uh queen's anus the egg the egg anus <laughs> we don't I have mean, an answer for that but the fact that the egg takes a while i'm assuming you know the they 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 clean up the mess they put themselves to bed they're flying through space for however long a week two weeks and then the egg gets to a point where it's developed enough that it opens, which is admittedly kind of weird because we haven't seen an egg open like that before. Mm. But I think it was a small thing that the queen hid and and then it then grew. Yeah. Now, this gets into the quintessential question that causes a lot of problems throughout the alien universe, which is biomass. Um, one of the things that when I talk to biologists about aliens, because I do a lot of science research for my books, uh, and why, you know, and if you, if you know, if you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, a lot of any scientists, by the way, when you're, when you're writing a story, it's really fun to pick their brains about whatever you're writing about. Cause I guarantee you you're wrong. Um, and, and, but they were always like, how does it gain so much biomass so quickly? Okay. And the solution that I came up with for this, I, you can't directly state this stuff inside of Canon, uh, but you can sort of throw in some like this is what i think kind of hints so for example um in into charybdis when there's the weird little rat alien thing um that everybody likes so much there there's it's etching the glass the um the plagiarist prepotence etches the glass and part of the reason for that is because i classified it into a family of extremophilic bacteria um and so extremophiles are capable of eating things like toxic heavy metals. You know, there's cupriavidius uh, uh, metallodorins, you know, is, is, is a bacterium that eats uh, like cobalt and poops gold, you know. And, and so the idea here being that if an alien gets loose, recently hatched from a chest, for example, on the ship, how does it reach, you know, like a 300 pound object within eight to 10 hours? And I think the answer is it's constantly feeding off of things it touches. If, if, if we, you know, and, and there's some, there's some, there's some documentation from the movies where it talks about like sepsis setting in. And I'm like, well, that's, that's a bacterial infection, you know? And so if we're going to assume this is a bacterium, there are bacteria that can survive in deep space. There are bacteria that can eat heavy metal. Why don't we just assume that it does that and it's actually eating bits of the ship that also feeds into certain things like, you know, when they're going to resin up the place, why is the resin as strong as steel? Maybe it contains steel, you know, um, that kind of stuff. That could be how they build up their chitin. That could be all kinds of things, which leads me to 
maybe the egg actually like incorporated bits of the ship from around it. I don't know. It's it's a you, wild theory. You may not know. There's a science teacher on this call who is in heaven right now. I think. Is that, is that right, Andy? Is it? It's is true. I'm taking this all. I do. I teach biology. I love so. biology teachers. My favorite. One Aww. of my favorite consultants is is a biology, a high school biology teacher. I I, I think all of my science friends with doctorates and and all that stuff. They're, they're all wonderful. But the person that I talk to the most Aww. has got to be the high school. I love teacher. that. That's amazing. We um, talk about animal stuff just constantly. No, but I love this. I I was in my glory just now listening to everything you just said. Um, I love that. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm glad. You know, I I'd originally considered trying to like push it towards like eukaryote or prokaryote because I, I think that those tend to be very um, mysterious. You know, uh, but the problem is is that you know. There, there is a pretty decent amount of pre-existing stuff, and I don't know of a lot of eukaryotes, prokaryotes that do like eat metal, for example. You know, slime molds not not notoriously resistant to flame, for example. So it also there is also some mystery though as well, not knowing how it reaches that mass. There's that's conjecture. right. You can't right, and you can't say you can't for sure. Say. And I love that. I love that we really don't know. Just like really, we don't know what's in the chair. We don't know what the space jockey is. We don't. Right. I have I have certain. Again, it's sort of like uh, my one of my favorite other pet theories that I always work into my books that, again, it's not directly there. So Foxes or Disney is never like, what are you doing? You know, because if you start saying like, this is how it works, they will slam down the hammer on you so fast. Um, but if I indicate that I think that every time you tell an android to hurt someone in a way that it can't avoid hurting someone, that it drives it into a state of psychosis or independence. Uh, that's fully supported. Davis, psychosis or independence, independence. Bishop never gets told to hurt anyone. Ash, uh, Ash gets told to hurt people, so he goes psychotic. Uh, David, of course, gets told to hurt people, so he goes psychotic. You know, I think that it's because uh, you know, don't they sort of aren't the three laws enshrined in Alien as like official? Yeah, in Aliens, <clears throat> which is Bishop creepy. Says, yeah. <laughs> right well, it, like it reinforces that idea that you know they're never going to be treated as as equals they're absolutely a built slave race right i love that they're like well we gave them the capacity to feel bad about what we're doing to them. that's um that that's so um i'm always bringing up 2001 and i'll be quick about this but that is people think that hal was evil he wasn't they were trying to explore the idea of like what if a computer was so smart it became neurotic and was forced to lie to the crew because it was actually for the good of the mission. So technically it was right to lie, but it's wrong to lie. So Hal was having like a mental breakdown more than him being a you know a mustache uh twirling villain. So I love that. That's awesome. Anyway, I've I've sidetracked you long enough. Mm. Oh no, because because alien physiology and bishop are literally the, the two possible ways that the egg got there. So this is really, really good. And the resin. Someone left a comment about the resin so we can circle back. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that for sure. So also, so you think that Bishop could have brought the egg back? Not me. That's some conjecture. Not we're not, we're not like a hundred, at least I'm not a hundred percent, but I, I'm open to the possibility that, well, that it's possible that 
something superseded Bishop's programming and he brought an egg on board. And there's the time. He had the time. Can I? When just did he add... have the time? He never got into the nest. Uh, well, he, when the ship was set on the, uh, with the dropship was set on the balcony. Oh, yeah. Maybe was he set. was just like, all right, let me And he was out there for a good, here. what, 10, 15 minutes? Who knows? Who knows? I mean, that's the conjecture. Hard, it's hard for me to imagine him walking into the nest and being like, hey, hey, don't. Don't worry about me, guys. You know, <laughs> but at the same time, it's it. I wouldn't say it's impossible. Uh, I would say that Bishop is is under the control of an enemy force, technically. So, you know, maybe um, when I say an enemy force, I mean, Waylon Utani. They're not your friend. <laughs> yeah. Can I just add to like to the Bishop theory taking from Alex, your idea in the cold forge i really liked where blue was able to um use the android as as a as a means to uh be fully functional and and move around the ship and and uh just be able to communicate with with who she uh needed to work with and and all of that but like you know to your point like was wayland yutani at you know behind bishop in in some way and and we on the last episode had discussed the the scene in aliens where he's kind of dissecting the face hugger and he, and he kind of has this this moment where he's like we all think he's like high off his ass just like and and <laughs> uh, spunkmire comes by yeah and it's like hey bishop you all right bud and he's like <laughs> Yo, and I feel like there could be a moment where whoever was actually controlling Bishop at the time from Wayland, you know, someone back uh, at the space station, some suit that's, you know, controlling him had to like quickly get him back into his, <laughs> you know, programming. And and so, you know, like it's it's a it's a cool theory. But it, but again, it's like, OK, where where does he find the time to actually get the eggs? And I could argue that maybe he lied about how long it actually took him to crawl down that little tunnel. <laughs> you know, Andrew, there was a there can... was a cut scene where he encountered an alien, right? Uh, can you tell us about indeed. that? I I can't because I don't remember the. Uh, that's that's as much as I remember. Christian, I'm I'm not sure they actually filmed it, but there was supposedly an interaction where I thought it was a face hugger. I don't know, but regardless, maybe. The, the whatever form of alien it was didn't consider Bishop a threat. And so they were able to pass each other. That's right. And, and, and I will say that does lend some credence to Bishop could have gone and gotten the egg himself. Uh, you know, and in my books, you know, uh, Marcus can walk around and not be distracted or, or not be accosted by aliens most of the time, as long as he doesn't do anything they don't like, you know, and you see this in isolation as well, right? The working Joes, they just walk around all the time. It's not like the aliens just like, Oh, screw those guys, you know? Um, which I, I think I, I think that's interesting. One of the things that I love, though, is this idea that, okay, so I understand it's really controversial to have XX21 have been the product of David's Linnaean experimentations. I get that. At the same time, one of the things that I love is when you see every android's reaction to the alien, every single android's like, this thing is so cool. What if that's because they're like, I'm seeing a machine mind in its creation, you know? Um, so on the one hand, no, it's kind of silly if David made the alien, but on the other hand, it sort of is backed up by all of the androids reactions in every movie. 
I think that there's uh, some precedent for that in exactly what you're talking about, Alex, which is that every time a synthetic person encounters an alien, they're fascinated by it, right? Right. So it's almost like they recognize something. And I think it also goes back to something else you were saying earlier about the idea that there could be a literal biomechanical aspect to what's going on, you know, biomorphologically speaking with the creature, right? That maybe they're recognizing in, for example, like it's self-similar structures, right? Like that's something that I think we need, by the way, a full episode on the potential biomorphology of, of the creature. And Andy should lead us through that. Cause I think that that's, and maybe get Alex back for that. I think that's a, an amazing <laughs> conversation to have because this is we something that bring comes on up. my science consultant. Yeah. <laughs> science <laughs> night. Cause this is, this comes up all the time and we always come up with these kind of random little conjectures about what it could mean or, you know, how they could, you know, uh, reproduce in certain conditions or how the egg could possibly have gotten there or how the queen could have laid it without the ovipositor, all these other things. Right. So I think I'm, yeah. I'm bookmarking for later that we should do an episode on this. Cause I think it's really cool. But when you look at the creature, like you were saying, Alex, you see very mechanical things happening in terms of like the self-similarity of the structures that they create, right? The the fact that their resin almost always has like regular arches to it and things. There's something very mechanical about the creature itself. And mm-hmm. um, I think it suggests like a reason why there could be kind of a kinship there. And I mm-hmm. think that, uh, I think that's just an interesting avenue. Androids to love clownfish for the same reason. It's because they have that weird nesting pattern. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I could see it. Right, I is that clownfish? That have the 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 concentric circle nesting pattern. I, I don't think, think they, it's clownfish. They lay their eggs in Andy. coral, right? Because yeah. anemone, yeah. an, an yeah, in coral. Yeah, no, I've seen anemones before, but uh, I've seen Finding Nemo. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, though. Well, I want to push back. Obviously, I'm not in favor of this bishop idea in a large sense, just because it it takes something from the previous film and degrades it for no reason except to explain a plot hole, but. Right. In aliens, no, I feel the same way. Ripley confronts Bishop about, she says, I, you know, I want you to destroy these samples. And he says to her, you know, Mr. Brooke made it really clear. I'm, I'm going to take them back up to the ship. If he was secretly planning to do that exact thing one way or another, why would he tell her that? Why would he admit this? The... <laughs> also, why wouldn't he be like, hey, by the way, I did leave an egg on the ship. Right. I, <laughs> you know, either either he's running a subversive program or he's being brutally honest about everything that, that he's experiencing. See, but, and I think, I think he's, I think he's one of the only like sort of pure androids because he never gets pulled to harm anyone. And literally putting an alien egg on the ship is going to harm someone. There's no way you can get around that except by saying that he has special programming or something. And then I don't know. I want to, I want to hear Jamie's counterpoint. Well, my, I, I'm just thinking, okay, so say, let's just say for a minute he did. I don't think he's going to tell Ripley in that moment. Oh yeah. He had me. There's an egg. See that egg over here. That egg's coming with it. Like he would, I would think the company would step in towards the last minute remotely, of course, Mm -hmm. and override some things and say, you're, this is the time bring this with you. It would be, it would be insidious. It would be quiet. It wouldn't be anything that we can see. That's how these things are done anyways. Right. If, that was the case. If Bishop brought an egg, it wouldn't be something that we were going to see. It would be something quiet and underhanded. And yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I, again, I'm not married to this idea um, that Bishop brought the, but I just think it's plausible. Um, but here's, here's a watered down question though. Do we trust technology? Do we trust it? Does any of us trust it? I mean, the EEV straight up reports on them 
to uh, yeah i'm not i'm not just saying technology in the alien films i'm just saying technology do we trust technology in the no. lower so why would we trust bishop uh i don't think you should uh this is this is this is see what's interesting is inside the alien canon yeah he's great outside of the alien canon whenever you have something like a machine learning system it is running it's running routines that you cannot understand and you will never understand so for example a lot of our neural networks right now that we create or what are called black box neural networks or second degree AIs where they're, they're, they're networks programmed by networks. And, um, the, you know, uh, it's interesting because we, we created a GoBot fairly easily that could destroy any Go player on earth. But one of the problems was, is that there were actually some really basic strategies that you would never use against a Go player that destroy the machine automatically. And the reason why is because we are like, oh, it sees the board and it's making these decisions and all that other stuff. Every time you say like, how did that machine decide not to hit that pedestrian in the sidewalk, for example, what you're really doing is you're anthropomorphizing something that is not mm -hmm. human. You know, machines don't make decisions. They don't know things. There was a greater than symbol when it came to the, you know, like some sort of compressed JPEG machine vision. And it made, you know, it, it, it didn't make a decision it fired off a routine, you know, and every time that we, and this is especially relevant to the current series that I'm writing, which starts with August Kitko and the Mechas from Space, it's called the Star Metal Symphony. You know, every time that we do this, we do this with chat GPT, we did it with Teslas, you know, where we're, we're like, we're acting like these are things that are operating on our, you know, for our benefit. And what it really is, is it's a series of switches that are firing, hopefully, in a way that we want. But those layers of abstraction don't make it good. And to that end, I think that the Bishop theory does technically hold water because of that. You cannot fully trust an android any more than you could fully trust a stranger. And an android that was programmed by Wei Yu, forget it. You know? Um, I'm really curious about the the informational link between Weiyu and the Colonial Marines. Uh, for example, why did the company show up after the EEV distress call, not the Colonial Marines in Alien 3? Why, you know, how does that work? Presumably because it's a Weyland-Yutani prison facility, I, I would I would think. But I, I do want to point out, though, for that, that Bishop is not a Weyland-Yutani synthetic, right? He's a hyperdyne. Which is a oh, competitor I'm sorry. to Wayland Chani. Which no, it's I mean it's I think we, we most of us probably assumed that until we just I just looked it up, you know. I thought that wasn't clear, episode. Patrick. I thought Bishop says he asks what was Ash's model. Burke says he was a hyperdyne, blah, 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 blah. That's all we know. We don't know what Bishop is. We don't know, right? We don't know what I think what he I is. think we know what he is. It's it's also I think it's explained in comics and things too. Like it, it's yeah. it's he's he's definitely he's, he's a count. future iteration of the Hyperdyne <laughs> system. It isn't. But I'm sure Hyperdyne sells their uh, their droids to the military and to 
Waylon well, Utani, right? And he was sold as a military, a piece of military equipment to the USMC, yeah. which is really what's controlling him. That being said, he's obviously being, you know, manipulated by Waylon Utani by virtue of having Burke on the mission. So, like, there, it's, it's not like Waylon Utani is absent from the conversation. Well, all I'm saying is the people who initially wrote the code were actually a competitor to Waylon Utani, presumably. Okay. So, what's interesting about that is, so Bishop does not have to be subservient to Waylon Utani. He, if if the three laws are enshrined in Alien, the second law is you have to do anything a human tells you except where it conflicts with the first law. So that means that Burke just comes over there and is like, take those up to the ship, don't burn them. You don't have to work for Whalen Utani for that to work on an Android in the Alien universe. So just except throwing that, that out there. Doesn't that set off the the series of of if then equations in his brain that says this is a dangerous organism the the dead face hugger isn't dangerous right. and that's that's actually what burke says to take up to the ship and that's what he's willing to do ah there, that's true and there's no and the live fact, aliens oh again the fact that bishop remains both good but not independent means it could mean that you know he wasn't told to endanger anyone hold on i have to correct myself there that conversation with Ripley happens before Burke has released the two live specimens. So there are live specimens. I, I can't remember now if Burke was telling him to take all the samples up or if it was just the the dead ones that he's referring to. Do you know, Andy? I think he was, I think if I'm remembering the quote right, he was told to keep them in stasis on the ship. So it is the live ones. Hmm. Oh man. Am I right? Is yeah, am I right? He uses those that, terms. Andy, yeah. He uses yeah. those yeah. terms. Burke yeah. says they were to be kept alive in stasis yes. for the trip yes. home. That's right. Yes. That's right. Well, shit. <laughs> it's 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 not impossible. It's not my favorite theory, but it's not impossible. Not at all. And and just just briefly just to clarify cuz Alex has mentioned this a few times, the the laws that Alex is referring to are Asimov's three laws of robotics, which again, the first one is uh, can't cause harm to a human. The second one is must obey a human unless it's in violation of the first law. And the third law, I believe, is you, is they can't you, harm themselves. You must correct? preserve yourself except where it conflicts with the first and second law. Right, right, right. And and you know, again, this is this gets back to, you know, when Asimov was imagining a future, he was imagining slaves, right? That's that's what iRobot is 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 sort of about is but what's interesting is he doesn't he doesn't take any sort of ethical stance on it. Now, I will admit, I don't like I don't necessarily like like robots or sla- like like I know this is going to sound really controversial on this podcast, but the plot of Blade Runner drives me insane. <laughs> um <laughs> because <laughs> it's like what if white people could be slaves and I'm like, "Hey, look, okay, like <laughs> there are real world problems that you could have based this on and done real world <laughs> stuff." But instead, you sort of shortcutted it. Who's the main character? Oh, it's a white slave hunter. <laughs> good, good. Was he? Is he good? He's a good guy, though. He becomes a good guy. Well, he rapes a lady in the second act. But no, no, yeah. <laughs> it's it's not great. It's not great. Um, but I think Asimov's, I'm going to say it, limited imagination when it comes to robotics is on display there. But at the same time, uh, you know, he's he's not very far from the origin of the term. Um, uh, and that was a play about labor, right? About labor struggles.
I just do a quick roundup of, we've actually had some official sources weigh in on this topic in that Alan Dean Foster wrote a novelization. There was a Dark Horse comic adaptation, and there are a couple of official books, especially S.D. Perry's Whaling Yutani, um, what's it called? Whaling Yutani Guide or the, I don't know. It's a big Whaling Yutani book. Um, so Alan Dean Foster just has a facehugger running around on the ship. No, no questions asked, no, no answers given. The Dark Horse comic goes really crazy and has them already drowning. We, we, we cut to the EEV already crashing onto the planet. People are drowning and um, the queen facehugger crawls out of Newt's mouth and goes into Ripley's mouth. So that's crazy. And S.D. Perry gives two possible solutions. One, the queen placed the egg there herself or alien drones carried an egg on board or two eggs on board the ship when nobody was looking. And she points to uh, the fact that Spunkmeyer and Pharaoh were taken out by an alien drone that came aboard when the, when the ship was parked and no one, no one noticed. So if they could go onto one drop ship, why not go onto the other drop ship? So that's a new theory. We hadn't, Did we hadn't Bishop about that. ever land the second drop ship? Yes. He, it, was, it was landed. It, it was sat on the balcony or whatever the thing was. When Ripley gets off and, and he, he was, yeah. And he's supposed to be there when, when she comes back and she's, angry that he isn't there and he says it got too rough i had to circle around but right what what some folks on this podcast are saying is he circled around touched the ground went inside did a handshake deal with some aliens and took some eggs back with him <laughs> which i think is incredibly weird but there he we set go. an egg timer <laughs> as well we've established <laughs> plus the egg is underneath the, the floor of the uh the docking bay or whatever you call it the the hangar bay. Like when you, I was rewatching Alien 3 today, the camera pans across to reveal the egg. And we are looking up through a floor grate at a light that is set even higher up. So we are definitely underneath the floor of a very large room. We can see the word Sulaka written. And that's where that one single egg is set. Even though they made four eggs for the production, I found a photograph of four different alien eggs for Alien 3, but only one of them is in the movie. Why would Bishop crawl underneath the floor grating after being cut in half to stick an egg there. There's no time for him to have placed the egg. It's the queen. Why would it not be the queen when she's the one that produces eggs? She's the one that is on the ship. She's the one that has the grudge. She placed mm -hmm. some eggs. Well, you know? I mean, she, she already, we already have issues accepting that she could fit in the fucking, in, in the landing gear, right? How is she going to do it with a backpack of, of an egg on her back? Like no, it's no. preposterous Christian. Uh, I find <laughs> but it equally preposterous picturing anybody, Bishop, anybody. It was like... a North Face backpack. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you see her unfold from the landing gear pretty, pretty convincingly, I think. Yeah, um, I agree. To picture somebody, whether it's Bishop or anybody, like holding an egg like they got a bag of salt from Home Depot and like <laughs> sticking it and trying to like lug it and stick it on like a panel on the ceiling or whatever. Like, and also, I don't know, I'd have to really go through it beat by beat. And, but just to me, if I, you know, I, um, I don't have to necessarily be super critical of like, for instance, how did I feel about the egg being there? I said, the movie's just beginning where people talk about how in the first few minutes of a movie, people are really willing to accept whatever to me in a way, 
even if it doesn't make sense, it has movie logic. It's just like, well, we're getting going. It's almost it almost it almost excites me where it's like all right they're cheating a little bit but that means they want to do something that means they have a story they want to tell so let's like let's just get to it we're going to get it out of the way but um to me like even that suspension of disbelief that i can get into very easily to picture like this long con idea of bishop being like all right like you know, maybe he's adjusting his plan, but in the end, I'm going to put the egg there so that by the time she gets to this, uh, you know, I don't know that that to me, like as a plan, it makes no sense for for Bishop to do that. Right. I mean, not not to me either. Um, And it doesn't go well. I mean, like, obviously, aliens never go well, but you know, like it starts an electrical fire and the escape pod gets launched and you know, like, if I was going to put an egg away for corporate containment, you know, like, why not wait until you're back and then you can, you know, impregnate some poor sap in a laboratory that you've kidnapped or a prisoner from some planet, you know. Um, certainly prisoner experimentation must be a thing in Alien, given how large the galaxy is and how many dark corners there are. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't want to waste it on an uncontained environment and then drop it on a planet, you know. Um, so yeah, I I, I think that uh, again, I don't think that that would have been planned uh, if that was the case. I do think that the company could have extracted eggs from LV four twenty six before the mission happens. Um, I don't think that's impossible. If if this was Bishop's master plan or programming, um, he's surprised when Ripley says we're not leaving, right? Mm-hmm. So if his plan was to go grab the egg, he'd have been like, oh, yeah, we're not. Like, he would have been the one telling her we're not leaving yet or whatever. Like, his, he was he was ready to get out of there. So to me, that also doesn't make sense that he would just shift so quickly. Mm-hmm. You guys like to make fun of the fact that the queen fit inside the dropship. You're telling me that they don't notice a gigantic alien egg sitting in the dropship somewhere. The dropship is not a very large vehicle. We can all agree on that. We disagree on on what part of this is is improbable. But so Bishop takes an egg and puts it off to the side and then puts like his coat over it. And so no one notices it. I mean, and so they, they land the ship inside the Sulaco. They step out and... Boom, Bishop gets ripped in half. He doesn't have a chance to go anywhere. Everyone is is there. Right? I think they, t- they take care of Hicks, maybe, but he has not hidden an egg anywhere. So that means that it would have to be on the dropship still, which I, I maintain is not possible. But you don't think Ripley is going to search every inch of every surface to make sure that the alien is gone. It can't be somewhere obvious. I just and at that point, like the betrayal, he'd be like to the queen, like, I put, I laid one of your eggs. <laughs> You've torn me in half. How could you do this to me? Well, I would, I would say Christian, to be, I, I, it's a difficult conversation because I'm playing devil's advocate for all the arguments. Cause I, I think they're all stupid in, in my, in my opinion, not saying any, anybody on this podcast <laughs> is stupid, but I think these are all kind of ridiculous 
things because it's just like Madge was saying, it's just like an excuse to get the events of the next movie started that is up left over from the Vincent Ward script. But, you know, making it more than that, like it was left in a very kind of strange place, which could suggest that he had limited mobility. And that's why he had to kind of just put it where he could get to because he was already Christian holding on to the floor. Let it be known. And under that floor, the egg was found. Wasn't the queen pulling up floor, floor grates? That queen was pulling floor grates left and right. That's true. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that could either enable the queen or a half eaten android. <laughs> <laughs> but also, now keep in mind so we're getting some narrative hints, I think, from Cameron here because the smart ass dropship, right? The second dropship is being remotely piloted, allegedly, by Lance Bishop. But Lance what if Bishop. Lance Bishop himself is being remotely piloted? <laughs> to go. That's technically what his full name is. What? If, what if? What if? I there, did not that... know that. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Why, Lance? I know his, his name is the yeah. same as the actor. <laughs> oh, they, they all are. All yeah. the Marines, except for for Hicks and Gorman, have the actual actor's first name as their name. You, oh. you only ever see it as a as like an initial or whatnot. But they, yeah, it's it's is Jeanette, it, Vasquez. Is it Jeanette Vasquez. Yeah. It's Jeanette Vasquez. Yeah. You check that dog tag. Yep. <laughs> you freeze that Blu-ray. But listen, so so my point being, though, that Cameron might be suggesting because Bishop is remote piloting the dropship, we see him typing all that shit on the keyboard. He's really hard at work, you know. What if he's being remote piloted in turn? And that's kind of a clue that maybe the company has infiltrated his systems and that's what's really going on. Maybe, indeed, the company has planted that egg somehow on Smartass and that's why Pharaoh's ship goes down. It's a stupid argument, but you can argue well, about it if you want. Well, where, where, where were Bishop's legs at the time? Hmm? Hmm? Anyone Bishop's asking leg? that? Where's Maybe that Bishop's on legs? legs? That's true. <laughs> Those legs out the door. <laughs> they got sucked right out. Unless you play Aliens Colonial Marines, the video game, and then the fucking legs are stand are They're sitting right there. You're like, whoa, half a half a robot. What the hell? That fucking game, which also yeah. gives it also gives an explanation for how the egg got there that we will not entertain because it is so poor it's a classic <sighs> game hang on so to get back for a moment to uh less stupid ideas than the ones i just you know put out there i want to go back <laughs> to something that has come up a couple of times and especially because we have alex here who is as close to an expert on you know alien biology as we're going to get <laughs> we have this <laughs> we have this idea <clears throat> that they are able to accumulate mass really quickly, right? You're talking about the biomass issue. Christian mm -hmm. mentioned this idea that maybe the, that the queen is kind of shitting out little egg seeds that can grow into full eggs. There's precedence in other films for the, for the queen being able to reproduce in different mechanisms, right? Of course, you have that classic film, Alien Resurrection, where she has been genetically modified and she's able to give cesarean birth or, or vaginal birth, I guess, in that case. Um, you have precedents in the comics where you have things like Praetorian situations where you have, you know, new hosts that are able to produce eggs spontaneously. Uh, I, in my opinion, that probably makes the most sense. It is also, I guarantee, the farthest removed from what they actually intended because they didn't think about any of this shit that we're bringing up right now. But in terms of my personal headcanon, flawed as it is, I, I'm going to go ahead and agree with Christian, even though I've been pushing back on you because it's fun. I think the most likely scenario is the queen has some sort of a backup situation where she can spontaneously produce some kind of a viable egg. And that viable egg, as Alex was saying, maybe can accumulate biomass quickly by incorporating elements in the environment and the naturally occurring atmospheric environment. In right? fact, she could have produced seven, 10, 20, 100 non-viable eggs as Ripley beat the eggs out of her. <laughs> <laughs> in that fight 
and you know and and then only one survives right like you know only one had to make it um so yeah you, you know to that point um in alien 3 when we see the juvenile alien um in the in the corridor the only i my assumption is the reason that it spits acid in that guy's face is that it's it is regurgitating it's spitting acid onto the metal and then eating the sludge that or the slush that it makes Ooh, that's very good right because i like that that because and forget alien resurrection where now they can all spit acid but the only time we actually ever see it do that is when it is as quickly as possible accumulating body mass so there's a little science for you fun i like that too external digestion a classic trait of archaea and stream of philic organisms that alex was talking about or flies yeah for that matter interesting we're getting stuff done on this app. <laughs> I think we should move on to comments. Uh, I think this is a good spot mm. to do that. And w- while we're doing that, a friend of ours, Bradley Swaybeck, who I think everyone knows, he oh, yeah. presented me a theory, and I think that this is an interesting theory. And it's kind of doesn't work because he's talking about mobility, but oftentimes spiders, female spiders, when their eggs hatch, you see all the babies on the mother, and she's carrying them around. So Bradley felt like, plausibly, the queen could have had facehuggers like baby spiders on her back. But again, we're not talking about facehuggers. We're talking about an egg. But to that point, yeah, it would have been... definitely in- know there was an egg. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it would have been interesting if in Alien 3, instead of the opening that they did with the egg, we got almost like a flashback and we see from behind the queen as she's leaving mm. the um, the dropship and we see kind of two facehuggers crawl off of her and into just kind of wait and wait and we see her descend uh, as she goes to fight Ripley and then it cuts back to the EEV and everything else where there's a facehugger on someone under their you know you see the facehugger and their their head is rolling that would have been interesting it would have explained some things however I don't I'm not the kind of guy who needs things explained I don't need everything explained just like the the space jockey and then of course in Alien 3, if you look at the EEV, or even before you get to the EEV, if you look at the cryotubes, they're not the same cryotubes that they go to sleep with, or they go to sleep in, in Aliens. So, we have a couple of problems there, too. Didn't they, didn't they sort of, like, try to explain that away as, like, they get shunted in? Oh, oh, are you saying, like, they're externally completely different? Completely different. Oh, yeah. They're more in line with Alien than Aliens. Da- David Fincher liked the look of the original film's uh, cryotubes, oh. just one clear piece. And he's like, well, to my film, he he changed the color of the Sulaco from gray to brown and the lettering from black to white because he's like, fuck it. It's my film. I can do what I want. Yeah. And I'm, no, I'm not saying sense. that as a bad thing. I think he literally is like anything that's coming from the previous films, I get to change any way I want. And well, now, it- and, and, you know, to that end, every single film has, uh, well, not every single film, but, you know, the, the first three films have a strong color palette, you know, so Alien is green. Aliens is blue. Alien 3 is brown. So I don't know why they were like brown, but you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
they committed to the brown for sure. I know. Yeah. Behind Resurrection, it's the second most steampunk aliens. <laughs> Resurrection's pretty brown too, though, isn't it? Resurrection is even yeah. browner in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, that's more, more a question rusty. of the film itself resembling mm-hmm. shit as opposed to the color palette. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's what it is. That's wow. What, yeah, that is that is a that resembling is, shit great job patrick <laughs> <laughs> quote me on that. there are several there are several movies in the alien franchise where i'm just like wow this has all the right ingredients what happened, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> resurrection asks you though right off the bat to believe the weirdest thing like okay we got a drop of ripley's blood and from it we grew a bunch of ripley's and one of them was pregnant with an alien and so we took the alien out of that like what? How could a drop of blood give you an alien embryo? Did you not so watch it's, Jurassic Park? Aliens, uh, aliens are epigenetic. <laughs> I was uh, explaining it to a friend on a car ride a couple of weeks ago, and he was like, what? <laughs> okay, I don't know if I've ever told this story on this podcast before, but when I was a little kid, I won't say a little, little kid, but uh, it was right after Alien 3 had come out, and I was like, this can't be over. You know, like, the series can't be over. And because I was a child, I believed that the series was about Ripley. Um, you know, and so I had just seen Jurassic Park and I went to the library and I looked up the address of 20th Century Fox and I wrote them a letter, handwritten, <laughs> that was like the plot of Alien Resurrection. Now, here's what I'm going to say. I do not believe that they opened that letter. I don't even know for sure that I sent it to the right place. I don't think that they ripped me off. I am saying that the plot of Resurrection is so bad, a child would have thought of it. <laughs> That's amazing. Alex, they probably got that That's letter. Awesome. Some guy in the office is like, did. Crikey. Good Lord, man. Make this film right now. Call <laughs> Joss. I have his plot for him. <laughs> mm, Joss is gonna eat this one up. It's written in crayon. <laughs> I mean, it was not well written either. Like I have Oof. bad handwriting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it was. It was. It was so bizarre. And here's what's funny: going into the theater and seeing Resurrection, I came out and I was like, I was wrong. I was so wrong. That was not a good idea. I'm sad they did the idea. <laughs> I was so upset. Because I think that a lot of what falls out of Resurrection where they're like, oh, yeah, well, we can reproduce aliens from a drop of Ripley's human DNA blood. Um, you know, that, well, why can't they put a vagina on an alien queen? Why, you know. Once it just, opened that door. Like, well. <laughs> right. And I mean, like, look, Jean-Pierre Jeunet did exactly what he always does. Close-ups of weird-looking people's faces. Okay, like... <laughs> So if you want to see some close-up of weird people's faces, then mission accomplished, right? <laughs> like, so I think I think he goes home every night and he's like, I love Resurrection. I think it's one of my best movies. <laughs> there are so yeah, many Roman. strange faces in this film. <laughs> <laughs> That's hey, why the camera's the like never close up, up on uh, on uh, Winona Ryder. It's because she's not weird enough. <laughs> Get out of here, perfect weirdo. Uh. So I have, another another question, yeah, another comment. Yeah, I have a um, I have a comment that actually comes from Aaron Percival, who is one of the uh, the main folks behind the Alien vs Predator Galaxy page and podcast, and a good friend of the show. <clears throat> Aaron Percival writes, 
Bishop being the one to put the egg there entirely misses and ruins the point of his character in Aliens. Sure, he has some suspicious behavior early on in the film, but that's because Cameron wants you to not trust him up until the end where we know conclusively that he isn't the bad guy. It's the entire point of his arc in Aliens. And he goes a hundred percent, a hundred percent from a literary perspective, Aaron is not at all wrong, which is why every book that has ever followed alien three, no, no author has taken Bishop and made him into the bad guy. You can have other robots for sure. Other androids, but it it just doesn't narratively doesn't make sense. This is such a nerd argument because of course we get into the nitty gritty and we get really focused on, on these ideas, but the bigger picture this is a narrative this is a story and there are certain expectations we need to call this episode the trial of lance bishop you know i, mean, I, I will have... tell you i will tell you that i sort of created a full pitch for a bishop novel before bowing out and i love bishop i think he's great and i think that michael bishop is hilarious uh as a character i think he's when i say hilarious i mean like he's the kind of guy that gets lost in a submarine looking at the titanic you know like that kind of he's he's obviously a problematic billionaire um i would love to see uh uh more character exploration i understand that there's a bishop novel coming out i don't want to talk about my book that i was gonna write because i i would not want um i don't want to say anything that you know you you respect your colleagues damn it you know <laughs> like but at the same time um you know i would I, I i think that yeah you can't make bishop the robot evil that's that's bad writing in my opinion you know that's not proof that he's innocent it's just that's just i think that would be bad writing you know while we're on that subject though uh in the novel alien into Charybdis that alex white wrote in chapter 18 failure mode there's a very interesting section i'm just going to read just a quick part um where without warning the science geek speaks up whale yutani master override sigma 626 authorization matsushita he says bishop shut down and bishop shuts down bishop literally goes into a fetal position and two marines carry him away and someone comments there's only one good reason to shut down a bishop, and that's the first, and that's a first law situation. A crime is about to be committed, and they can't have that bishop witness it. Care to comment on that, Alex White, who wrote Because I think that because uh, I think the bishop's a good dude. Uh, uh, you know, yeah, I had to incorporate a bishop into into Charybdis because it, you know, it's a platoon. If you have a platoon, you should have a bishop, and if you have a bishop, that's probably. I, you know, I feel like Bishop is in a lot of ways the moral center of the platoon. Like he stops them from he 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 has a, like a civilizing effect. Um, and when you look at what the colonial Marines represent, you know, they're they're the distant arm of the law across the galaxy. Well, that means that they can operate with impunity. That's all that actually means. They're just the biggest local gang. Um. You know, and so I think that having again, Bishop for me has to be the moral center. Like he's he's you know he's a good he's a good solid character that we love. I can't believe I named that chapter failure mode because that means that I have to go change another chapter that I just named failure mode. Nah, it's a callback. <laughs> I'm, I'm so I'm so derivative. <laughs> but as a fan reading that section, when that bishop gets shut down, 
just that, you know, my heart just froze like, oh no, because I had no idea how bad things were about to get Alex, but <laughs> it was a wonderful, gotcha. like, if, if, if they have to shut the bishop down, because the bishop is recording, right? We, mm-hmm. we assume everything the bishop sees, everything the bishop hears is getting stored. I don't think it's getting sent to the cloud. I'm, I'm still in 1986 technology with this. Yeah, I agree but with you. There's an internal storage and it's when the cop turns off his camera, right? Like, uh-oh, why would oh, you do yeah, that? yeah, exactly. So, so who has another comment from a, from a reader? Um, I have one um, from Rue Felix Heap. Um, this was actually in the post uh, regarding that scene where Bishop's kind of acting creepy and he's dissecting uh, the facehugger. Um, and it kind of goes along with what you guys are saying, where it said, we'd seen AI be bad guys and not only Alien and Terminator, but the films that inspired Scott and Cameron themselves. Bishop subverted the expectations set upon him by the sci-fi genre in such a nice way. Mm. Other scenes in Aliens, like the knife scene, showed how powerful he was, but he never wanted to use that power dangerously, even choosing to cut himself during the knife scene to preserve Hudson and entertain the shipmate, uh, entertain his shipmates. Sure, a plot twist of him... Only doing all that to gain their trust and betray them would have been cool. But I think those scenes in this one show his curiosity for the macabre um, and his unbreakable self-control and empathy. All this to say, Bishop is one of the coolest, most humane AI characters in sci-fi history and deserves all the love. Yes, don't ruin Bishop. Don't I do agree. It. I'm I'm with I'm with I'm team Bishop here. hundred percent. I love that he subverts that. I love that. I think if you're Team Bishop, that probably makes you more like Team or, Shitting Eggs. <laughs> I'm definitely Team Shitting Eggs at this point. Although I want to just really quickly going back to what Jamie said. For a long time, I was of the notion too of why it would have made more sense if the Queen just had face huggers on her, mm. and that is what you hear at the end of the credits too. You would hear the scuttling of a face hugger. It makes no sense that it was on the dropship because then why didn't it go after Hicks while he was unconscious and everybody was, you know, fighting him off? It makes sense that it would just have been the facehugger and no egg. So I think they didn't need to put the egg in there and make it more complicated. And I think it could have been explained away. That's my opinion on that. I agree. So... That would be that would be awesome though if you finish the fight and she just goes in there and just Hicks is just hugged. <laughs> well, shit. <laughs> That's Michael Bean's greatest fear. He he'd heard this rumor that his character was going to be the source of the uh, of the new Alien and Alien Three, and I don't believe that ever was actually what was happening. But uh, yeah, he's he feels very strongly that that is not a good idea. So. Oh, but That's... it would have been really neat, actually. <laughs> Especially if, you know, the facehugger, they, they, yay, we defeated the queen, and turn around and he's face hugged, and then you have that moral dilemma of what do you Yeah, do you freeze him? Do you throw him out the airlock? <laughs> there's nothing that Ripley hates more than an alien. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You guys want to get in... would have thrown him out an airlock. You guys want to get into a, um, a very... Um... I don't know, more heady, more speculative comment. Yes. Let's do yeah, it. Go for All right. This one, this one's yeah. a little long, but he had, he had a lot of ideas. This is from Jonathan Burnett. And he says, my take <clears throat> in aliens, 
Just before Bishop is impaled by the queen's tail, we hear the hissing of the acid burn, and Bishop looks down to see the hole already burned in the, in the floor. Let's say this is seeping from the area the queen's egg sac was ripped from. We don't entirely know how the secreted resin works. We've seen it in Alien and Aliens, but only Resurrection briefly showed it as a living, moving thing. So my take is this. Secreted resin burns through the flooring and takes root. It begins growing. And then, in like in the alien director's cut, starts forming ovomorphs. Oh, sorry, Christian, or eggs. It can be argued that what we saw was not Dallas and Brett morphing into an egg, but dissolving and quote feeding the egg nutrients. So a cluster of eggs form beneath the flooring. The original prop shows there was more than one egg, some unformed and smaller uh, than others. This would be the same under the floor area as we see Newt. Uh, in trying to escape the queen before the power loader fight. Whilst Ripley and company are in cryo sleep, one egg reaches maturity and opens, releasing the super face hugger or royal face hugger, if you prefer. Um, it appears as a regular face hugger at first. I wanted to ask you guys about that, but I didn't want to get sidetracked. Um, but as it doesn't die after the laying, uh, die after the laying the first embryo, it sheds its skin like a chestburster does, growing and becoming armored, dark and darker in color, just as an adult xenomorph does. To be the hugger we see in the pr the prisoner holdup in the abattoir of the assembly cut, explaining its difference in appearance from the opening scene. You can also see in the lightened image from the movie that the secreted resin in drip is dripping downwards, as if originating from above. That. Uh, that with the graded flooring visible, suggesting it is beneath the loading bay, as Christian said. I mean, that is a really good theory. Yeah. Uh, you know, like it is. I like that. I, I, I enjoy that one a lot. And I think that Covenant actually lends quite a bit of credence to that. Because when you look at the spores, I forget what they're called. The um, uh, Dane would have Dane had like a name for them. Um, but when you look at the spores, you know, it's an, it's a planetary infection, Yeah, you know? And so the idea that your, your ship can become infected is really daunting. Now I will say that it poses such a logistical challenge for the people inside the ship that I don't think you can have teams of people with exposed skin walking around and that kind of stuff. You know, one of the things that I had sort of wondered is, you know, you see, uh, uh, in a lot of cases with transmissible diseases, you see shedding, right? Viral shedding, for example. And so, you know, if the resin were that virulent, you would think that people would get plagiarist prepotens infections from, for instance, picking it up and snapping it off. You but know. to Maj's point, or the, the person that Maj was reading this from, if it's specifically dripping from where the egg sac or yeah. the egg sac connects then you know this is like the the real vital so these stuff. are like pluripotent egg cells yeah as opposed to whatever they're regurgitating to make walls where it wouldn't have to have that same content i think this is brilliant this is I fascinating love that idea. i love this idea. i think <laughs> it bridges the whole egg shitting thing and makes it feel a little yeah. bit less stupid to me yeah and plus yeah, it's a it, moment it we yeah. witness it's a moment we witness yeah. on film it's on screen yeah right right this is good that's some real out of the that box is good thing. Whose Checks comment out. was that again, Mesh? Yeah, that, wow. that was from our friend Jonathan Burnett. Jonathan Burnett. Well Gold done. Gold star. All right, yeah. we need a gift box. We're going to send something to Jonathan Burnett. I'm serious. I like that a lot. <laughs> and I, I think that the, yeah. the, the, idea, the idea of... Christian uh, saved. For the, for the biology saved. episode. 
<clears throat> for the biology episode, though, the idea of exploring pluripotent cells also is really interesting too, because that would explain why they're so adaptable and that, that right. could explain why they're able to do so many different things in different contexts. And maybe in this case, the infection isn't of biological material. Maybe the infection is of mineral content on the ship. Like maybe that's what's providing enough. So I think that's a really good, yeah, really good point. Yeah. And again, I want to do this biology episode. Aren't now. there worms where I don't, some type of worm, probably many types of worm where you cut them in half and they become two separate mm -hmm. things. Yeah. They have individual right. brains. Yeah. So I, I, it would make sense that possibly with the alien that every part of their biomechanical, whatever has the, the, the recipe for life. Like it can start recreating life wherever it goes. Like, yes, it might use a queen, but it doesn't need a queen because it has everything that it needs right with it. So maybe if it, if it's shedding, if it, whatever it's doing, all of the, uh, the, the, what's the term I'm looking for? All of the components for creating life are already there. It just needs, it, it needs a catalyst and maybe that catalyst is it's, I don't know, who knows what that catalyst could be. So that may, I, I like that as well. I like that theory. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention, and it's, I don't know if it's semantics, but when Ripley turns Bishop on in Alien 3, she's asking him, what was going on? And he's like, there was a fire. And he, you know, you hear you hear the ship's voice uh, coming from Bishop. And she goes, was there an alien on board? And he goes, it was with us all the way. She doesn't say egg. She doesn't say chestburster. She doesn't say facehugger. She says, was there an alien on board? And he goes, it was with us all the way. And I always thought, that's an interesting thing that they say because who, Ripley who says was face hugger in any of the previous films um it never gets i don't said. think the, the the term face hugger is right. ever but i think they talk Maureen about would have called it a face fucker they corrected that <laughs> yeah. but there are moments when you know in aliens where she's like who's laying these eggs they're talking about different yeah um, eggs eggs i would believe yeah they're but she's they're talking about different aspects of their life cycle but mm -hmm. in Alien 3, she specifically says alien on board. She doesn't reference an egg. Because for me, she would be like, well, how, was there an egg on board? She didn't say that. So I, I always find found that interesting and mysterious. I don't really know what they're talking about. And it almost hints that there's something else on that ship, too. So our very good friend, Reno D, uh, whom you can hear extensively if you subscribe to our Patreon on our Weirding Way episodes, uh, but you don't have to subscribe to our Patreon, but you should. Um, yes, so you. Reno says, <laughs> he says, I love Bishop. He's my favorite character in Aliens aside from Ripley, but I don't get the insistence that he's good or selfless. I can agree that he's competent and the great Lance Henriksen brings a certain warmth and humanity to him, but it's still a machine performing a series of tasks. I'm not sure I'll be phrasing this properly, but while I understand that we, the audience, projects this idea or vision of the character with as many human characteristics, since he's played by a human being and is obviously meant to look like one, this whole concept of good and evil for an android, I don't buy at all. Same goes with Ash. He was nefarious from our perspective as humans and knowing the danger and consequences of his actions. But again, we're trying to stick a moral label on what is essentially an automaton. He's not, twir he's not twirling a mustache. That's the second time that's come up tonight. I have no clue how the eggs got there, how the egg got there, but Bishop seems like a very real possibility. Ultimately, it doesn't really matter though. And I guess that's kind of getting at the heart of this, which going back to 
you know, Christian's idea of a Rorschach test that I've now overused on about 35 episodes. Again, this is a great example of that, right? Where we look at the situation that is is deliberately imp- not it's it's not deliberately imperfect, but it's definitely an imperfect, you know, it's pretty ambiguous. Device. It's very ambiguous and they never try to fix it, you know. Um, and we inject into it what we see and what we fear. Right now, as people sitting here in 2023 dealing with this frankly terrifying uh growth of artificial intelligence in the public, you know, sphere machine learning and it's machine learning algorithms. And yes, it's uh, sorry, thank you. It's <laughs> it's scary, you know what I mean? And and I think we are looking at this now retroactively with a very different, you know, fear in our hearts than the people who made the film probably intended. Because I think had this film ended with Andy's point, which I think is really cool of, you know, Hicks potentially being hugged in the ship. Like that would have been so against what Cameron was trying to express with this movie, which was such a fundamental optimistic thrust, you know, to the end of the film that was good mm-hmm. triumphing over evil. And again, in in my opinion, and I think in probably everybody's opinion, Bishop stands in for whether he really is or is not good, at least a symbol of good in the alien universe. And this is something that came up, you know, in the Marvel comics. We talked with Phil Kennedy Johnson ad, ad nauseum about this. It's his favorite character. Many people who write for aliens, including the amazing Alex White, who's been with <laughs> us tonight, feel this way about Bishop, that Bishop is a character you don't really fuck with. And I I like that as well. And I think as we kind of come to a close here tonight with probably needing a part three or at least some other offshoot of this conversation to come, I think uh, I just want to close personally by saying how wonderful it is that these films, even though they were made so long ago, still you know entertain and ask these questions of us that give us an excuse to get together for an hour and a half on a weeknight and have a really fascinating conversation that I'd be sitting in bed tonight at fucking two in the morning, still thinking about and thinking about the implications of because the world building that goes into this and the type of thinking that that world building engenders in all of us um, is really invaluable. And I think tonight is a great example of that. So I'll hand it over to Jamie to bring us home. But before I do, Alex, as always, it is just such a pleasure, my friend, to have you here you really are just one of our favorites, um, and we're just so grateful that you make the time for us. And and everybody who has not already read Alex's novels, fix that. Like, <laughs> just fix it tomorrow. Essential. Read, read all of their books, um, but especially their alien books because they're absolutely amazing. And uh, with that, Jamie, you want to kind of bring us home? Yeah. So, uh, like Patrick was saying, Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, it was a last minute thing that I think worked out really well, and we love having you here. So, thank you. Anytime. Uh, uh, one. One thing that I wanted to mention, and I, you know, maybe we can go around and have everyone just say their last their last bit. But I, we talk about joy on our Blade Runner podcast all the time. It's a she's a source of contention. Um, but what I find interesting about us as people, as a species, is we see something that looks human, and we're like, oh, you know what I mean? Like we want to love it or we want to hate it. Like we have this with, for instance, with joy with Blade Runner twenty forty nine. It's a character that I have major problems with but people see this pretty girl this pretty girl who's just who's emotional and she's crying and they're like oh but joy's nefarious wrapped in this bow that everyone's responding to and i think but and very few people i don't know about very few but i don't think enough people are really looking at the package and not understanding that behind that is machinery and programming and all sorts of things. Now, I think it's extremely revelatory that the first human machine learning interactions that have become so prominent are based upon a machine that was developed to lie convincingly. Mm. Chat GPT mm. is the devil 
Okay. Mm. I'm just, I'm going to put it pretty bluntly here. It lies without compunction or remorse. It lies in the most convincing possible ways. You can see this in the way that, for instance, those two lawyers are facing potentially being disbarred over the fact that they created a case brief with ChatGPT and it cited cases that did not exist. Wow. Yeah. You know, wow. Yep. It, and, and let me tell you, if I got on this podcast and I was like, yeah, my friend with a doctorate said, blah, 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 you guys wouldn't question it. If I got on this podcast and I said, I just got done talking to the studio and we're going to get 18 more alien movies next year. You might question that because I said 18. <laughs> but if I said, there's a surprise alien movie coming next year and I worked on it, you would be like, oh my God, you heard it here first, folks. It is, it is a liar. And to the last commenter's point, maybe Bishop is also an extremely convincing liar. And I say yeah. that to that end, all I'm saying is, and I, I'm not fully on board whether Bishop brought an egg. I think the questions are interesting because we don't really know. We don't really know exactly what happened, but I like that, which opens the, it opens it up for discussion and conjecture, which is what I love. But Team the comments that I'm, <laughs> the, what I, what I think the larger picture for me is looking at technology is not our friend, but we want to make it our friend. We want, Oh, so like, even I, I respond to Walter in alien coven like oh i like walter he's kind he's just programmed he's not kind he's just a machine but if we can look past that i think we can look at the possibility that bishop is not what we think he is bishop is not as trustful as we want him to be but we see his face and we see him talk to ripley and we hear that hush tones of it, the dulcet tones of his voice and we're like oh bishop but that doesn't mean he's trustworthy and i i, I think that's kind of what I'm trying to bring to this discussion is the idea that we can't really trust technology. I just want to say what fun I've had and how much I always enjoy coming on the show. And I would love to come back. Uh, but more importantly, I would love to bring uh, Lolly Garcia DeRozier with me uh, to, to, to talk uh, about some of the science consulting that she did. And I would awesome. love to hear the interplay between her and Andy. I think that would be so fun. I would love that. Absolutely. Let's do it. Let's make so it much, happen. Alex. Let's do it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Have a yeah, great day. No yeah. If no one has anything else to say, thank you all for coming on the show so much. It's been great. At least hour and hour and a half goes by so fast. So. I know. <laughs> well, thank Thanks, you all Xander. so much. Cool. Thanks, everyone. To find out more information about Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please go to www.perfectorganism.com. If you would like to support the show, please go to www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.